Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to ask away. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vincent Jovitali. I'm your host, Michael Davis. Sharing the gospel is a mandate that has been given to every believer. To truly believe that Christ was who he said he was and did what he said he did means the mission of sharing the good news means the difference between life and death. But oftentimes, issues arise regarding the method in which we share these amazing truths. When telling people about Jesus, are there some means which are not glorifying to God? Is it possible to share the faith with people via digital means? Is it even possible for people to develop relationships that can bear the weight of truth online? But before we get started, Vince, can you tell our listeners about RZIM Connect, RZIM's online community? Sure. Thanks, Michael. I love being able to recommend Connect. This is a fairly new resource that we have at the ministry over the last couple of years. Uh, was developed and is being led by our colleague Carson Whitenauer. And uh, it's the global online community for RZIM. And if you have a question and you want to send in a question, but actually interact with people in the context of community where maybe you can ask your question and a few people might respond probably within 24 hours. And then you might be able to go back and say, ah, actually, that's not quite the question I was asking. I was asking something a bit different. And you can actually bring community into the conversation. We say that RZM Connect is better than Google for your faith questions because you're going to get a personal interaction rather than just something impersonal. And you're going to be confident that you're actually going to get a credible answer to the questions and the challenge that you have. So if you're someone who just likes to think deeply, likes to do that in the context of community, loves to hear what other people have to say, loves to engage with a variety of perspectives as you pursue truth, RZM Connect is just a fantastic place to check out. Awesome. If you guys want to check out RZIM Connect, all you have to do is go to connect.rzim.org. Okay, let's go to Hartley's question. This is a good one. I, I really hope the answer is he'd be cool with it. But here's the question. What would Jesus's opinion be on using technology to witness to others today? I love this. <laughs> this is such a fun question. In part, I'm grateful for it because it sparked a really ridiculous conversation that we had before getting on the air about the sort of nostalgia we sometimes feel for a life we never knew before technology. And, you know, back when people used to write handwritten letters or, um, you know, actually talk to their neighbors. But then then we realized that without technology, we'd probably be past our life expectancies and wouldn't be here, wouldn't be here to enjoy all those wonderful things. So and, thank you for where our conversation began. <laughs> And Michael, you better hope that the answer to this question is that Jesus would like it because otherwise you don't have a job. That's right. I, I, it's, yeah. it's, Bye, I was going to say, it's like, it's pretty much my job. So I'm really hoping he says he'd be cool with it. Well, and actually in, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, I guess none of us would have a job either. That's, That's exactly right. Considering we're using technology to, to remotely have this podcast, I hope he's good. Yeah. That's right. Well, you'll be thankful, Michael, that at least my starting point for this question is I'm going to say Jesus's opinion would be that he'd love it. Uh, and of course, there's going to be some qualifications to that as we go on. But <laughs> I'd say he'd love it. And uh, and he started it. I've sometimes thought about the question of why did Jesus come when he did? Uh, you, you may have heard someone ask that before. Why did Jesus wait so long in the context of human history before he actually came to earth? 
And I would say Jesus came at an ideal time for the gospel message to spread out across the entire world. And for at least two key reasons, Roman roads and Greek language. Caesar Augustus had unified most of the civilized world. He took a special interest in roads and their upkeep for a few reasons. You could have fast movement of news, uh, the postal system of trade, uh, and also of troops to fight your wars. But it also allowed for the spread of the gospel because the journeys that took place during that time period, they wouldn't have been possible after the fall of the Roman Empire, like pretty much all the ways until modern times. During the Roman Empire, you didn't need a passport to go anywhere within the empire. Uh, and also because people were used to those of different cultures and nationalities from different places coming and sharing about their culture into a new context because you had this freedom of movement and this ability to span wide distances within the Roman Empire. So that's technology. The Roman road system was technology and it was so key, perhaps even relevant to why Jesus came when he did and so key certainly to the spread of the gospel in those early years. And then the Greek language as well, so widely adopted that it became the common language throughout the empire. The conquest of Alexander had made the Greek uh, language the language of the East. And then when Greece came under Roman control in the second century BC, this became the case in most of the West as well. So it actually became normal for Roman education to be conducted in Greek. And to that extent, Greek was read by practically the whole world, the whole known world in that area, at least. And Greek already had a ready-made philosophical and theological vocabulary because of the philosophy of ancient Greece uh, that had become so robust and was so developed. And so there was this philosophical vocabulary, which could become part of the theological uh, vocabulary of Christianity as well. And so, so the ability to share the gospel across vast distances and in a culture's language, both the literal language of that culture and culturally as well, it was critical to the initial spread of the gospel. And it seems to me that in a different era and in different ways, that's exactly what we're doing with technology today for the purposes of witnessing and for evangelism. Uh, Zoom, uh, Zencaster, which we're on right now, Google Translate to be able to actually communicate things in, in a person's language, the Bible apps that we have where you can hear one of our favorites, the public reading of scripture where you can hear the Bible read and you can even do that in community with other people. All of these are instances of using technology to be able to share the gospel across vast distances and in the language of a people's culture. And that started way back when Jesus came to this earth and the ideal time for him to do so was when the Roman roads and the Greek language system allowed that to be possible. I think that uh, applies in the same way to the Bible as well. I mean, people often talk of Christians as the people of the book. Can you imagine if, um, you know, after Jesus had died and, and someone had the idea, well, you know, why don't we write these things down so that we can remember exactly what happened? And, and the response was, no, we don't want to use that newfangled technology. We don't want to write it down on papyri and, and scrolls and, and pass it on like that. Where would we be without uh, the, the manuscript evidence and, and the written testimony of the Bible? And, and you can see it in key stages of revival throughout uh, church history as well. I mean, just think about the Reformation and the difference that the printing press made at that technological advancement to people being able to hear the gospel in their own vernacular as opposed to just hearing it read in a church in Latin and then not being able to have their own copy in their own language to read. So time and again throughout history, technology has actually helped to make a huge advance for the gospel. No, absolutely. You think about William Tyndale 
burned at the stake for translating and printing the Bible into English in the 16th century. I mean, Christians were martyred for the technological progress that allows you and me to read the Word of God today. And so, yes, absolutely, technology is pervasive. We vastly underestimate our use of technology in a variety of ways. I mean, it's everywhere. How you get to church on a Sunday, uh, the pair of glasses that you put on to read your Bible, or or let's go, uh, you know, way back and think about uh, divine technology. I mean, the creation of the universe in the first place. I mean, there's a technology so far beyond anything we can think of. And so sometimes we even think, well, kind of basic technology is okay. But when we get to really advanced, sophisticated technology, that's where the problem creeps in. Not necessarily because we do not have any technology which can in any way rival the technology that God must have had at his disposal when he created a universe that we couldn't even think about replicating or the human body or the human brain or the human eye. And so technology is everywhere. It's something that God was using in the first place. And it's something that we use every day in order to be able to engage with God in the multifaceted ways that we do. And this is something I have to remind myself of, because I'll be honest, I have leanings away from it. I get frustrated in my day-to-day with having to rely on so much technology. Uh, When we first started out this podcast, I was sort of resistant to it because I didn't like the idea of talking to an audience that I couldn't see. Um, And God really convicted me because after that very first episode, we had someone write in and um, I had the chance to get on the phone with her and then pray with her after that one episode to become a Christian. And it just felt like God saying to me, Joe, you don't get to decide what is going to be fruitful (laughs) and what isn't. Um, But it was technology that made the difference there. Or, you know, I think about things like, think about TV and the latest series, The Chosen. And, um, you know, that's using technology to tell the story of Jesus. And uh, our neighbor was just letting us know how during lockdown, they have an Airbnb apartment within their home and, uh, two Muslim girls had been staying there and they became friends and they watched the TV series together and the girls were so blown away by what they were seeing that they just cried their whole way through the first episode. And you know, just how many people have seen the Jesus film, how many hundreds of millions made a decision for Christ because of that. And then you think about things like this ministry, Ravi really helped launch RZM through the radio where people would be listening to it. And when they were first hearing him, um, we would get so many letters as a ministry from people who literally had to pull over on the side of the road in their cars to pray and recommit their lives to Christ after hearing Ravi just preaching the gospel on the radio. I think about Nabil, our friend and colleague who died a few years ago. And now, whenever I travel the world, I meet people the world over who became a Christian through watching Nabil on YouTube. Um, and and again, that's just another example of these things. When you think about audio Bibles, Vince mentioned uh, the public reading of Scripture app, which we love. But the third most listened to language in which the Bible is heard is Arabic, which is is speaking into a part of the world that's often closed, where Christians can't go and physically share their faith, but they're getting to hear the Bible read uh, because of technology. Or just one final example from the last few months of um, during the coronavirus, one in four adults in the UK watched a church service online. Um, one in three adults between the ages of 18 to 34 which is really the unchurched generation in the UK had that opportunity. And and of those who tuned in, one in five said they'd never gone to church before. Um, So I just think that's remarkable, uh, the way that even in this season of struggle, which we've all been through, technology has become a way for people to be encountering God. Well, I hadn't seen those statistics. That's really encouraging uh, about England in particular. And so, yeah, it's good to remind ourselves as well, technology is caught up in integral, even to the first biblical mandate 
to humanity, right? So right after God has created Adam and Eve, the first thing he says to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I simply don't know how, I can't conceive of how you could actually be faithful with respect to that mandate without some form of technology, without creating things that allow you to go beyond your innate natural abilities. If you're going to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every every living creature and subdue the earth in this way, I just don't see how that's possible without technology. So we're actually commanded in at least an indirect way to be faithful with respect to technology, because that's going to allow us to fill actually the very first mandate that we're given by God. And the reason for that mandate is ultimately so that the knowledge of God can spread over all the earth. And so I think that connection between technology and witnessing is actually there right from the first pages of the Bible. And so for that reason, I would say technology is a good thing. Uh, Sometimes we might think it's neutral. It could be used for good or used for bad. Maybe that's a reasonable position as well. But I'm a little more inclined to say, actually, it's a good thing because it's a necessary condition of us fulfilling the first mandate that we're given uh, biblically. But of course, it can then be used in bad ways as well. Mm. Yeah, there are certainly things that we need to be careful of. And I wonder if part of the implication behind this question is this idea that does technology interfere with us actually being able to relate to people? Um, Ravi would always talk about the importance of how much he loved Q&A, live Q&A, uh, because you had the chance to look at someone eyeball to eyeball, as he would describe it. But there, there's something to that, isn't there? Being able to see people eyeball to eyeball. I, I love the Swahili greeting where um, you go up to someone, you basically say, I see you. And the response is, I am seen. And there's something about the seeing of a person where you recognize their personhood and their their humanity. It breaks down walls between us that I think sometimes are harder perhaps to cross during the use of technology when we're on a screen, when someone, uh, even if we're we're seeing them on a camera, you can miss so much. Um, Something like 90% of communication isn't verbal, it's physical, but you miss a lot of that physical uh, gesturing and communication when we're for example, on social media and, and writing things as opposed to actually seeing somebody. So I can see some of those uh, drawbacks. I, I certainly love and value a huge part of our job, which is traveling and an itinerant ministry, because it does make a difference. I think when you're looking around a room and you can see the people that you're speaking to and the number of times I've been in that situation where I've just sort of sensed a prompt from the Holy Spirit that actually there's a particular part of the talk that's specifically for a person who I can see right in front of me and I know it's for them and you sort of almost communicate it differently or communicate it directly to them. Um, or it provides for opportunities. Like I remember speaking in a church a few years ago and um, afterwards, there was a, a girl just sitting way in the back of the room and uh, all by herself. And so I went up to her and to see if she was doing okay and because she was all alone. And, and as soon as I got close to her, she just burst into tears and asked the question, what do you do when your whole life is falling apart? Now, interactions like that, you can miss over technology because that isn't something someone is just going to post on their Twitter wall. Um, But those things are important and essential, the ability to see people. So I'm not saying technology can replace in-person evangelism, but I think it can help enhance it. I think to me, it's more of a both and. Yeah, I think that's right. It's so difficult. We feel that tension very strongly, the good uh, and the bad. I mean, just the significance of physical presence and the significance of the fact that Jesus chose to come physically 
that he rose from the dead physically, that he will physically be the one to wipe away our tears, that we will exist physically with him for all eternity. So, you know, theologically, there is something significant about having that that non-mediated um, contact and relationship. They're not being a buffer between you and the one that you're relating to. Uh, and we see it even on college campuses now. Sometimes we'll go to a college campus to speak in person, and we'll we'll find out later that a lot of the students were watching the event live on the live stream while sitting in their dorm rooms on the same campus, but but not wanting to get out of their pajamas and walk, you know, a couple hundred yards across campus to be there in person. Um, but the conversation that you want to have with someone. After the talk, you know, and the vulnerability of that conversation and, and being able to look into their eyes, you know, that's something that is done physically in person in a way that it can't always be done otherwise. And yet, you know, on the other hand, the reach that we can have digitally, the number of people you gave those statistics about England, that's fantastic. And of course, just like you said, Joe, some of those people were not going to go to church otherwise, right? They had an entry point that otherwise they might have felt uncomfortable taking, uh, and as someone online was even referencing Nicodemus coming by night uh, to Jesus, you know, and maybe at times technology allows us to kind of take that step in the door, which is not yet public and willing to be seen by everyone around for whatever reason, but being able to approach Jesus in a way that someone's comfortable with and ask their initial questions and begin that journey. Mm. I think there's also, um, I guess another of the potential pitfalls of technology. One is that things when they're through a screen, it can be harder to engage with them because they they can almost become a form of entertainment. I remember Ravi sharing about when his grandchildren came to hear him uh, preach a sermon and afterwards his granddaughter had said, you know, that was a lovely show. And he was thinking, what do you mean a show? And then they realized because she'd been stuck sitting behind a pillar in the church, she couldn't actually see Ravi speaking alive on the stage. So she'd been watching him on a TV screen in the church and thinking this was just a show. Um, and But I think we can have that impression as well. We almost disengage from things. We don't allow them to hit us personally or convict us personally because it's through the medium of a screen. And uh, and so we can almost sit back and, and experience something as virtual or not real or somehow disassociated from life. I also think there's, and the other danger of it is it becomes a performance and show for the ones who are sharing. I, I often feel so nervous about what false impressions people mm. get of who we are as people when they're only experiencing us through technology. Um, you know, if you just see disembodied quotes or profound thoughts on Twitter, um, but they don't get a sense of the, I mean, I realize my thoughts on Twitter are not very profound, but <laughs> nevertheless, for some people they are. And, you know, but you can miss a sense of who the real person is. And, and I hate the idea of people getting a false impression of us, of, you know, being perfect people who always have their lives together. Anyone who's been listening to Ask Away long enough doesn't have that impression, <laughs> thankfully. Are you saying that all the listeners? Are you saying, Joe, that all of my comments over dinner are not tweetable uh, quotes? You know, no, just deep, they're, profound. No, they're not. The number of times I say to Vince, if your students could see you now, <laughs> people always say, you guys must have such deep and profound conversations at home all the time. And I'm like, um, <laughs> no, we swing in the other direction to balance things out. <laughs> but there awesome. are there are concerns here, and and I, you know, I also a couple others that came to mind for me, Joe, were uh, when it comes to technology, our determination of what we can do always precedes our determination of what we ought to do. Right. So it's not until 
everyone already has a smartphone in their hand 24-7, that we're even in position then to begin to do the analysis of the effects of screen time on the human brain and psychology, right? The, the creation of the technology comes first, and only then can you even assess it. So you're always uh, behind the curve in terms of thinking ethically about what you can do technologically. And the other thing about technology, and increasingly so, is it just really powerful and increasingly powerful. And so anything in our lives can become an idol. It can become something that we put our trust in instead of God. But I think technology perhaps has an especially great risk of that because it's so powerful in extending our abilities and promises uh, to help make us just that little bit more like God. You think of the Tower of Babel uh, coming to mind here. And so I think that there's that temptation with technology in particular for it to become idolatrous. Mm. So I guess the question becomes, um, how do you do it well? If you're going to engage in technology, how do you do this in a, in a useful way? And it's particularly challenging in certain contexts and spaces. Um, I often think of how horribly conversations can go on social media because they lack nuance and everything is open to misinterpretation when you only have a certain number of characters and people seem inclined <laughs> to give the least charitable interpretation possible. And, and it can be hard to go into those spaces if you're wanting to share about your Christian faith because you're stepping into the worst expression of a cancel culture where um, you will both be called out for the things you say and, and held responsible, not only for what you say, but for every possible interpretation of what you could have said, but you'll also be held accountable for what you don't say. You know, you hear things at the moment like silence is violence on the one hand. And yet if you speak too much the other way, then you're virtue signaling. So it's very hard. And, um, you know, you're judged for what you, your silence and you're judged for the things that you say. And, and I think there can often be the assumption if you engage enough on social media, then people begin to assume if you haven't said it online, you're not saying it anywhere. Or if it's not out there on there, then it means you're not living it out at all. So people make all sorts of assumptions that I think can be quite damaging. And yet to run away from it isn't doing us any good either, uh, because that's where so much of the world is engaging in the big questions. So we can't shirk those things. That The question is, how do we how do we love well, even in those sorts of contexts? And I think the key thing here is we have to live with an integrity that means that we are no different whether we're in person, face-to-face, -face, or behind a screen. There cannot be a difference in tone. And, and I find it appalling the way people talk to one another online, the things they would never say in person to your face. There can't be a different standard for engagement. And in fact, I think you need to be more careful with words when you have so few of them and when they're written down in a way where once they're out there, they're out there. So um, it requires a lot of prayerfulness and thoughtfulness before we even begin to engage. And I think what helps us to remember to do it well is remembering that if we're there to represent Christ, um, then it's not going to be about uh, self-promotion or building a brand or building our own platform or trying to get the most likes or the most followers. And um, my concern isn't that I wind up with lots of people following Joe Vitale, but that people start following Jesus Christ. And so I think that's always got to be the question. Whenever you put something online, just asking yourself, uh, who is this making look good? Is it making me look good or is it making Jesus look good? You know, what are people going to walk away from here? What sort of impression are they going to have of me? There are some people that I follow who I've actually stopped following, not because they're not always making excellent points, but they're always doing it in a way where they're teaching everyone else how to behave. And it's such a social critique, but there's, um, then there's never a sense of humility 
or are pointing towards God. It always seems to be um, their profound teachable points. And and at some point you just get sick and tired of hearing that. And w- what I want to see is something that doesn't leave people thinking, wow, Joe's so clever, but wow, isn't Jesus amazing? So I think we always need to have that aim in mind when we're trying to um, live out our faith and share our faith online. It's also just worth thinking through creatively. What does it mean to do that in a forum where often people are just reading a tweet and there's no follow-up, there's no further conversation, there's no avenue um, for greater discourse. So much evangelism happens in the context of deep relationship, friendship that that goes on over weeks and months and years. And so if you're using technology for evangelism, how are you going to establish those meaningful relationships? We talked the other week uh, about video games and how some people do that within that community. um, And it builds from encountering each other in games to long ongoing online discussions to even meeting for coffee. So it can be done, uh, but how are we going to do that well? And I think we need to think that through because just tweeting Bible verses at people, that may make a difference for somebody. <laughs> for some, that, that might be the thing that changes their life, but a lot of people are going to need much more engagement than that. Okay. Well, guys, we are out of time. Vince, sum it up for us. Well, hey, Hartley, thank you for a really good question and a particularly relevant question in this time when we're doing so much digitally at the moment. Uh, so we're thankful to have been able to think through it a, a bit and we will continue to, you know, I was brought back to Exodus 31. Uh, so the Lord is speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai and uh, the Lord says to Moses, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri. And then it goes on, I have filled him with the spirit of God, right? So this is very much from God uh, and filled him for what? With wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts, to make everything I have commanded you. So this is a situation where very specifically God is filling someone with the Spirit of God in order to technologically be able to produce things that are involved in the worship of God. But then the sad thing is that a chapter later, while Moses is still up on Mount Sinai, hearing from the Lord, receiving the tablets of stone from God, the people get impatient and they say, Moses is taking so long to come down from the mountain. Then they gather around Aaron and say, come make us gods who will go before us. And then they make an idol of a golden calf. And Aaron takes what they hand him and makes it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. So you have the same technology here being given by the Spirit of God and the skills to use it in one chapter. And then impatient as we are, by the next chapter, we're using that for a purpose, which is the opposite of worshiping God. So technology uh, is a good thing. But I think what we take from this passage and from the discussion is let's make sure that we are being directed in our use of technology by the Spirit of God. And we're willing to be patient enough as we wait for further direction from Him rather than running ahead of Him and using things in ways where we don't sense that we have had a green light from Him because this is something which aids and furthers our worship of Him and the life that He has called us to live. So yes, let's be positive about technology. Let's witness through technology as we're doing so much uh, in this age, but let's also make sure to be thoughtful about it, prayerful about it, and for God to be the one who is directing our steps. Vince, Joe, thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you guys next time. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca. Thank you.